Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. America's fastest growing TV brand, TCL, brings you Mackie and Judd. So we posted that rant that you just heard about Kirk Cousins from the other day on uh, New Year's Eve, which where everyone else in the world is like, goodbye 2018. And I'm like, Kirk Cousins did your code words. Get out of here. And uh, it's... um, it came off uh, more aggressively than I initially meant it, but um, I, I think the frustration with Kirk Cousins is when you lose a game that ends your season and you had multiple opportunities to get into the playoffs with just one more win, and then after the game, as opposed to explaining what went wrong with the season and and, and your reflection on it and, and what you can say to Vikings fans to make them believe that there's first of all, that there's some level of that you care that this just happened and that you take responsibility for it. But then also what can you say to them that gives them some sort of hope going forward? And the best thing he can come up with is next year on offense, we'll have different code words for stuff. (laughs) And, and that was, that was my frustration. And then, you know, so I'm seeing the responses to it and I feel bad for some people because there's, these different kind of fans that exist. There's your fan who thinks that everything is going to go wrong no matter what. So mm-hmm. let's say week one against San Francisco, Cousins overthrows someone on the first drive, and you'll get the guy who tweets, We paid $84 million for an overthrow. And you're like, mm-hmm. Whoa, okay, all right, mm-hmm. cool down there, friend. And that person is enraged by everything. They can win by 20 and they're mad. And then you have. The very much sort of middle person who watches every game uh, but doesn't get upset by sports and wants them to win and is sort of frustrated but also wants to think, okay, maybe next year. And then on the far other side of that, you have the whatever the team says and does is right and the best and don't you dare say anything about it, even if that is literally your job to talk about it. And the unfortunate part of that, and and I appreciate all all these types, different types of fans, and the comments that they give, the emails. I, I have no problem with um, you know responding to those types of things. That the that Cousins is going to make it. You know, we're we're going to win the Super Bowl next year. That's okay. That's great. That's fine. What, what's sad about it though is reading the responses from those types of fans. And it's I got one today. The Vikings committed a lot of penalties that hurt Kirk. Like, uh, they were 31st in penalties, meaning they had the fewest. So mm-hmm. they were the second fewest penalized team in the league. And it's, you know, the defense didn't come up big. 
well, they were the fourth best defense in the league, you know, and it's but the but the offensive line, right? You know, you get to a point Diggs where and Thielen ran the wrong route, <laughs> right? You know, yeah. you you get to a point where it's well, maybe he's a good leader because him and the receiver are yelling at each other, and it's it reminds me of a. And this is this is a deep cut. So anybody who's a huge Simpsons fan for back in the day, but there's Homer Simpson is holding a barbecue, and Lisa wants to ruin the barbecue because she's going vegan, and so she takes his pig and pushes it off a hill, and so it kind of goes flying through the air. And Homer, oh, yeah, I know what you know what I'm saying? It's still good, it's still right? Good. Homer's saying it's still good, it's still good, and eventually the pig ends up in a river, and then Bart eventually says, "Okay, Dad, let it go." And it sort of has that feel at this moment to it. Now, there's a lot to still be decided. There's an offensive coordinator. There's offensive line. There's a draft. There's defensive changes. There's free agency. All these things between now and then that may very well change our view on this. But from the seat right now, you just have this feeling of it's still good. It's still good. You just went eight, seven, and one. It was the same thing that happened in Washington. The same reasons they moved on were the same things that you saw here this season. And I think it's gotten very difficult for the people who desperately want to believe that the Vikings have the right guy in Kirk Cousins. He just didn't give them a lot aside from some fantasy wins, probably to actually believe that. Now, as far as history repeating itself, this was what our friend Jace Frederick from the Pioneer Press dug up, that uh, in 2016, there was a very similar situation. Kirk Cousins actually had his best year of his career that year, and they went into Week 17 needing a win against the Giants, and they lost 19-10. to He threw a couple picks. It looked very similar to what happened against Chicago. And he discovered that the post-game press conferences, you know, the one that uh, made me lose it the other day, um, sounded pretty similar. So we have back-to-back comments from Kirk Cousins from 2016 and then from this year on his outlook. Kirk, like Jay had said that you know you did a lot of good things this year and all that, but to end the season the way you did with that pass, how hard is that for you to go in the offseason with that as the final drive, final big play? You know, this isn't uh, my first time dealing with this. Um, you know, tough times don't last, tough people do, right? I sound like a broken record, but I'm going to keep saying that until I retire. Two years ago, when you had a chance to get it. How, how does this rank among the disappointments of the greatest? You know, I don't have a menu in front of me of all the tough losses. I'll tell you, it's not the first. It won't be the last. You play in this league long enough, you're going to get kicked in the teeth. It's going to happen. Tough times don't last. Tough people do, right? So there is 2016. They get eliminated. The question from the reporter is to end it on that last pass. And his answer is, tough times don't last, tough people do. And then, Tough times don't last, tough people do, right? And then the same exact thing from this year. Tough times don't last, tough people do, right? Well, tough times have lasted for yeah. really his entire time as a starting quarterback when it comes to actually winning games. And, you know, the, the tough thing about Cousins is that quarterback wins can be really tricky. You know, when you look at a quarterback's record on an individual year, you'll find Kerry Collins went 13 and 3 once, and Case Keenum went 13 and 3 once. And every once in a while, there's some backup quarterback who comes in and has a great journeyman season, and we all sort of talk about it for a long time. 
But when you have now four seasons of the same stuff and even the same answers, it certainly makes you wonder if this is the destiny that they signed themselves onto. And for him to be saying that too, it it also comes across, and this goes toward that likability factor that does not exist with Kirk that did with Teddy Bridgewater and Case Keenum, is that when you give the same answer when you lost then that you give now, it's hard not to wonder, like, how genuine is this? I mean, is it just sort of Kirk reading from the We Lost playbook of the things I say when we lose? There wasn't any real genuine feeling of, I let a fan base down that went 13-3 and last year and truly believed this was our year. I let them down. We let them down. I let them down. There wasn't any feeling of that. It was, tough people last. Like, tough times don't last, tough people do, right? Tough times don't last, tough people do, right? I guess. I don't know. That doesn't mean anything to me. Does that mean anything to you? That yeah. To me, it he does this a lot. You see, John Filippo did this a lot, where they would have some sort of catchphrase that means nothing. Like, you see this with politicians all the time. Mm-hmm. And I could give some of them, but I won't. But like catch catchphrases, but but like little, but every politician does this. But like you know, some sort of catchphrase that they have to answer a tough question that really isn't answering the question. And instead of coming across as feeling like you let people down with your performance repeatedly throughout the season, it's much more just like a politician. Like I'm going to feed you this catchphrase so you just leave me alone. Mm-hmm. That's how I came. I'm just going to say this so that I can just get through it and go on to the next thing. Go on to the next thing of my life, or tough, my, the, the next thing I'm going to do. Tough people last. Tough, tough pe- times don't last. Tough people do, right? Yeah, tough times well. don't last. Tough people do, right? The tough times seem to last. The uh, paychecks will keep coming though for Kirk Cousins, which leads us to what I want to talk about next. And I, it, it's, it's always a battle a little bit because I have some people on Twitter. And that's how I sort of gauge everything, just how fans feel, what the responses are that I get. And there are some people who are saying, yes, yes, you're saying it about Kirk Cousins, what we all felt after week 17. And then you have the others who are desperate to have us not talk anymore about Kirk Cousins. But the way I look at it is this was the biggest story in the NFL for a lot of the offseason last year, if not number one in the offseason last year. And every time I would do a appearance on someone else's radio show, they would ask me, hey, it's Super Bowl or bust, right? They spend this much money on the guy. And when you come up this short, I think it makes a lot of sense to look at what happened here. Mm-hmm. Like, how did this happen and how does it get fixed? And where I always end up circling back to it is what we're going to talk about next. Uh, Kevin Clark of The Ringer wrote a story about the quarterback bubble, he calls it, with paying quarterbacks big dollars. And there is a quote in there from a former agent that really stuck out to me today. And I I, th- I think it says a lot about what's coming next for the Vikings in these three years that Kirk Cousins is here. Uh, Matthew Collar in for Mackie and Judd. We'll be back. We'll talk about that. We also have Jace Frederick, who... Gave us that sound bite, but we're actually going to talk some basketball with him uh, coming up at 4.30. Rich Gannon, former NFL quarterback, to talk playoffs at 5.15. Here, Matthew Collar in for Mackie and Judd. Don't go anywhere. More Mackie and Judd coming up next. Oh, that's just what they'll be expecting us to do. On 1500 ESPN. Mackie and Judd are back. Please, continue. On 1500 ESPN. 
All right, quick check on traffic here. 169 northbound. We've got a crash near New Hope. Uh, it's causing a 13-minute delay. It's between 49th Avenue North and Bass Lake Road. So if you're headed that way, northbound on 169, prepare for some extra drive time. Thank you, Manny. Matthew Collar in for Mackie and Judd here today. Feel free to give us a call 651-646-8255 if you've got a thought on Kirk Cousins and your belief in him in 2019 as we were talking about the best-case scenarios for each team. That's what it kept coming back to is Cousins 2019. And do you believe that he, with a lot of help, can be the guy to make the Vikings relevant again uh, next year, or is history destined to repeat itself as it did for several years in Washington and then again here with his first year in Minnesota? And uh, so I was reading today from The Ringer. Kevin Clark is a really good football reporter for The Ringer, and he did a piece on what he called the quarterback bubble, in which he looked at some of the highest paid quarterbacks and the big contracts and, and went back a little bit, a bit on it, too. So there was that stat that the six highest paid quarterbacks in the NFL missed the playoffs this year. But some of them, or was it five of six, whatever it might have been, uh, but some of them, like you'd take, like Aaron Rodgers, like, okay, he missed the playoffs, but uh, yeah, okay, Aaron Rodgers, that'd be fine. I, I accept. Um, but of course, this is relevant with Kirk Cousins because he is not Aaron Rodgers. And there are many examples of teams paying the so so quarterback big contracts and then not being able to build the team around that quarterback. And from Joel Corey, who is a former NFL agent, he's quoted in the piece, and he says this, Jay Cutler was the quintessential fear of the unknown quarterback. I think as the cap continues to go up, the new Jay Cutlers of the world will benefit. And it's there's another quote in here, too, from, um, uh, I forget the guy's name, he runs the cap website, uh, Over the Cap, really good website, talking about Ryan Tannehill as the great example of, Paid to be sort of a top-tier quarterback, but nothing there to show that he was worth $19 million. That Joe Flacco contract is classic of a guy that got hot and won a Super Bowl, had a Hail Mary work, and uh, ultimately went on and, and won because the 49ers couldn't finish the job and, and so forth, and he ends up getting a ludicrous deal for what he did in the past, but not what he was going to be able to do in the future. And so it's it's hard not to apply these situations to the Vikings, right? When you look at Jay Cutler, I think a lot of people's initial reaction, if I said Kirk Cousins is like Jay Cutler, I th- the first reaction I think would be like, oh, come on, man, he's way better than Jay Cutler. But when you look over his career, 74 and 79 quarterback, who had a lot of seasons that were good for the time, turned the ball over a lot, um, did not have a leadership quality that you thought was special. And I, I think it was a different sort of way of going about that, where Jay Cutler had the pouty thing where people would Photoshop cigarettes in his mouth. And, <laughs> and with Cousins, it's what we were just talking about, that you know the fighting with your receiver on the sideline or the offensive coordinator that you're working with gets fired and you get sacked a lot. There's, you know, the, the, the lack of pocket presence. Jay Cutler was unsurprisingly one of the league leaders um, pretty often in, in the times he got sacked. So, you know, and there's always a conversation about he's got a great arm. 
Like he can make all these throws, mm-hmm. but then can he ever really maximize it? And you have some 10 and 5 seasons mixed in. You have some 5 and 10. Jay Cutler was never the quarterback to make people much better. And in Chicago, his record as a Chicago Bear, 51 and 51. And, 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 yeah, and they paid it. And right. And they paid him so much that they were unable to keep rosters around him. And by the end of his tenure there, it was 5 and 6, 5 and 10, 6 and 9 records, 6 and 8. Uh, Oh, that was in Miami, but the you know one and four final season there in 2016, the one win against the Vikings. Um, <laughs> but but it reminds me of that type of situation that you're seeing. It might be a rich man's Jay Cutler type of situation, but it has a lot of that same feel that they were competitive. They had a lot of good defensive players. They had good weapons around him a lot of times. Matt Forte. They had Elshon Jeffrey and Brandon Marshall was there for a long time. They had the good receivers, and it could just never quite seem to get done. And it has that same sort of feel here as we go into an offseason where the Vikings have a lot of decisions to make and a lot of spots to fill. They don't have a defensive tackle now. Sheldon Richardson's a free agent. They have a decision to make on Anthony Barr. Should they franchise tag him? Because I don't see him signing an extension the way that uh, it looked throughout this year. And they don't have a number three wide receiver. Their number two running back is probably going to be a free agent, Latavius Murray, who um, has helped them quite a bit over the last two years. And, and so now there's all these spots to fill. And, of course, both starting guard positions. Are you going to rely on a draft pick and just hope that guy steps in in his very first year and is dominant? Will Hernandez was pretty good, but the other offensive linemen who were drafted, Connor Williams, James Daniels, they were just okay or not that great. And they were good prospects. And they might be great players ultimately. But in next year, is the answer just a first-round draft pick? And you just plug the guy in and say, okay, change our franchise now. Thanks. Not the 18th overall pick. Usually that's like the fourth overall pick or something. Like um, what was uh, Quentin Nelson for Indianapolis? Ninth or something? I think so, yeah. Okay, so there's a guy who's a top 10 pick who might change uh, the way your offensive line looks. But when you get past that, you're probably not getting the best offensive lineman. You're getting the third or the fourth. So this this is where it all, it's like how can you make these puzzle pieces fit with that big limitation of paying Kirk Cousins that much? Yeah, it's tough. And and I don't, I, I think a big thing for the Vikings going into next year with Kirk Cousins being the guy, is you've got to figure out what your identity is going to be and what type of offense you want to have. Now, we hear Mike Zimmer talk a lot about, well, we want to run the football and control the clock and all that stuff. All right, well, then you got to go and get two guards, probably, right? Rather, it's in the draft or free agency. Okay, well, if you dip into free agency, now you've got to make some decisions on some of your defensive toys, Mike. Right. You've got to decide, is, is Barr going to be back? You've got to decide if Sheldon Richardson is going to be back. And you may have to let some of those guys go in order to be a good enough running team next year because we know you want to run the football. Mm-hmm. You gotta, you're you're going to have to you're going to have to give up something to get something on in another area of your roster, and that's kind of the challenge that they're that they're that they're faced with right now. Because, like you said, we're they're sitting there with this twenty eight twenty nine million dollar a year quarterback that. You brought him in to to help move the needle from a thirteen and three team that was on the doorstep of the Super Bowl. 
And now you've gone back and missed the playoffs, and you're a 500 team with this guy. And and you brought him in to cover up for some of the regression that was going right, to happen with right. a tougher schedule and things like that. And, and he didn't do that. And, 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 he's, and it turns out he's just not that type of quarterback who can do that, who can cover up for when things go wrong, when you, instead of the number one defense, you're number four. Um, but you know when you give up something like five or six touchdowns as a quarterback yourself to the other team, mm-hmm. that, you know that doesn't help your defense either. And in many ways, that was uh, Case Keenum's biggest thing that he did in 2017 was he didn't turn the ball over. As much as he scared Mike Zimmer with wild throws, he, he didn't fumble it, he didn't give up pick sixes, and he just kept his team in the game. And that by proxy, covered up for any issues. And and instead, especially on the offensive line that they had toward the end of 2017, but instead, Cousins seemed to make it harder on his defense. He seemed to make it harder on his offensive line as opposed to easier, and that's what he was brought there to do. And, you know, the other point is, so you mentioned that maybe instead of paying Sheldon Richardson $13 million a year or whatever it might cost, Mm -hmm. you're going to have to put that money into an offensive line. Well, that's... True, Mm -hmm. but I'm looking at the ages of the best free agent offensive linemen. They're all in their 30s, aren't they? They are, and this shouldn't come as a surprise because this is what it's like for NFL free agency. That's why a team won't re-sign someone. So Roger Saffold, I'm sure we'll be talking a lot about Roger Saffold. It's not what I wanted to be talking about on January 2nd. I wanted to be talking about this week's matchup in Chicago and figuring out how I was going to Uber from the airport and take six hours to get to the stadium again like last time. <laughs> um, but that's what, I, that's what I think most fans wish I was talking about this moment. But instead, it's Roger Saffold, a left guard. So I'm sorry for that. Um, but him and Ramon Foster, those are the best two guys to... Uh, top 15 by pro football focus with their ratings. But one of them's 31 and the other one's 33. And neither are elite players. Both are just pretty good. And Saffold is probably made a little better by Sean McVay and their offensive system. Mm-hmm. So are you going to pay $10 million a year for a 30-year-old guard to hope that he patches over this problem? Are you going to draft a guard 18th and hope the guy's a superstar in year one? Is that how you're fixing this problem? Uh, Riley Reef isn't going anywhere. You know why? Because if you look at the left tackles who are free agents, what? Like, <laughs> they, they are abominable. Yeah. You well, hope you have to hope that Pat Elfline bounces back from a really tough year. You have to hope that Brian O'Neill who was ranked by Pro Football Focus 47th out of 62, you have to hope that he takes a huge step next year. So when you call and you say, well, all all Cousins' knees is just a fixed offensive line. Well, there are 32 teams that want to fix their offensive line, right? Mm -hmm. Or want it to be better. But usually, you kind of have to patchwork it together and hope that your quarterback makes up for those issues, which a lot of the good teams do. But when you pay him this much money... You can't even win a bidding war for a 30-year-old guard who you're not even sure how long he's going to be good. And and to the previous point we just made, too, about, okay, if you're going to go out in free agency and you're going to spend money on two guards or a guard or something like that, you're probably saying goodbye to a couple pieces on defense. If you're saying goodbye to Sheldon Richardson... Not easy to replace. It's not easy to replace. You say goodbye to Anthony Barr, and Anthony was kind of up and down, but... You know, if you if you have to say goodbye to Everson Griffin, it might be nice to have Anthony Barr back as kind of a second rotating pass rusher with um, Stephen Weatherly. Well, if you say goodbye to those guys, you're weakening 
the strength of what has been the you know the strength of your football team since Mike Zimmer has gotten here. So if you're going to weaken the defensive side to improve the offensive side, then the quarterback that you're that everybody's saying will just will be great if you just give him an offensive line. Well, he better be great, yeah, because your defense isn't going to be as good if you have to sacrifice Richardson and Barr and and Griffin and all those guys that that would be departing. And I I just can't help but thinking either when I look at the rankings of where the Vikings ranked in pass blocking and run blocking, it was twenty seventh and twenty fifth. How much better will that get if you sign one guy, one guard? I mean. Maybe maybe it'll be better. Maybe it'll be 20th. Or maybe that guy gets hurt in camp and you're right back to where you are and you still mm-hmm. can't make up for any of those issues. You know where this leaves me, Manny? And uh, we got to take a break to get to Jace Frederick. But it leaves me feeling very much like the Wild, where when you spent so much money on Ryan Suter and Zach Parisi, mm-hmm. who were elite players, but now are sort of Kirk Cousins-level players at their position as far as a winger and a defenseman. Ryan Suter is probably the 15th best defenseman in the league, and I have a ton of respect for Ryan. He's a great player, but it's not P.K. Subban. And when and he hasn't been the same since the, the injury last right, year. Right, right. And that's, and that's tough. But it, this whole time, it's been, well, Suter is the 15th or 17th best defenseman. He's not Drew Doughty. And Parisi is the 35th to 40th best winger in the league. And you pour that amount of cash in, it makes it very difficult to make a franchise-altering move that's going to get you over that hump. So it's a very interesting article. I suggest you go read it at The Ringer. Um, Kevin Clark is the author. He's uh, a guy that comes around Vikings camp to bump into him sometimes. Very, very good writer. So uh, we'll talk to another good writer, Jace Frederick. The Wolves are in Boston tonight. And you guys are just jacked. Uh, Jonathan can barely contain himself for the Wolves to go to Boston. And uh, as with, far as... With no Derrick Rose and no Jeff Teague and no Robert Covington tonight. Other than that, though... Yeah. I mean, go get them, boys. It is uh, great weather in Boston. Uh, so we'll talk with Jace about what is coming up here in 2019, what fans can hope for with the Minnesota Timberwolves. Matthew Collar in for Mackie and Judd. Don't go anywhere. More Mackie and Judd coming up next. Oakley Dokley. On 1500 ESPN. Mackie and Judd now continue. Well, here we are again. Yes. On 1500 ESPN. All right, Matthew Collar in for Mackie and Judd today. Manny Hill and Jonathan Harrison producing and joining us from the Pioneer Press. He covers the Minnesota Timberwolves. Jace Frederick, how are you, Jace? Good, Matthew. How about you, sir? I'm doing okay. Uh, do you have, um, there's one team that wins a lot in town. Do you have the free agent breakdown for the Minnesota Lynx yet? Um, <laughs> we should have it. Um, certainly a lot of holes to fill, right? I mean, with veteran players kind of getting older, Lindsey Whalen is gone. Need to find a backup point guard behind Robinson consistently. Whether you think that's Alexis Jones or not, I don't know. Um, honestly, so honestly though, Jace, a little bit more than that. The WNBA does such a bad job of telling people like who the free agents are, who they could sign, who might improve their team. Like you have to be a Russian spy to figure out who your team's free agents are. Right. I mean, that's the whole thing with like. If you, if you don't want to say, like, how much someone's making, fine, but, like, why does that have to be such a secret as in terms to, like, how long someone's contract is? You know, whether it's a two-, three-, four-year deal, whatever it is, 
who's entering free agency now, who's in it now. Like, it, it really is an unknown. I mean, and maybe part of that is because, you know, I don't know exactly why people don't dig too much. Now, certainly a lot of the big names aren't entering free agency a lot. It usually doesn't come up very much. But there are a lot of impact players, rotational players, that are entering free agency, and it's like, oh, they're signing with them? A lot of people didn't even know that player was available. So it is kind of maddening, and it's like, if you're a big, if you're a fan who really wants to follow the league in the offseason, it's so hard to do. And as a league, you shouldn't make your fans have to work to follow right. their team. Right. Well, that's a that, that's a longer rant uh, in itself because I mean, even just the the setups that they have, some of the arenas, the travel, the refereeing, like there are, there are problems that are not because of anything that they've done uh, that that pull down on on a really good league. But uh, aside from that, uh, Jace. We'll have plenty of time until June to get into uh, the the links and how they need to win to save Minnesota sports because the Wolves, it's a mess. Everyone's hurt. It was bad to begin with. Manny is sad. What 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 is is there anything in, in 2019? <laughs> is there anything in 2019, Jace, that Minnesota Timberwolves fans can look at and grab onto and say, at least this is my reason to watch tonight, or this is my reason to believe that this thing is going to go in the right direction someday soon. Yeah, I think you can look at kind of cornerstone pieces and Carl Anthony Towns' development. Um, it hasn't been every night for sure, but like his effort in general, his, his defensive prowess, he's, he's certainly getting smarter on that end and more efficient which is incredibly important. He's been more aggressive in the fourth quarter when they needed him to be, and that's kind of been a, an issue in, in recent years. And now whether that was coaching and, and setting up looks for him or, or him being aggressive enough to do it, either way, he's been kind of their go-to guy in the fourth in a lot of games recently when they need him to be. That's encouraging. Um, I just think kind of his development is still the most important thing for this franchise period um, because he's definitely their best player and needs to be one of the best players in the NBA um, eventually for them to be a serious contender to do anything. Um, so I think the fact that he was showing legitimate growth and ascending with his game, um, not only on the court but also in the locker room, just in terms of kind of being that leader, that go-to guy that they have, and I think he's done. He is kind of day by day becoming more and more of that. Um, Josh Okogie, anytime your draft picks look like they are solid pieces who can be with you and have an impact for years to come, that's a big positive. I think with Okogie, his offensive game should probably only continue to grow defensively. He's already not only like with his energy and everything as he advanced, but just the way that, that he defends pick and rolls and, and just different situations, he he just seems to get it on that end and to do that as a young rookie, um, that's encouraging too. So I just think when you see two young guys who you plan on being with the organization for a long time, A, in Okogi showing that he can play at this level and, and be a nice player, and B, Towns seeing him kind of continue to ascend, continue to get better and show kind of that the ceiling is nowhere in sight for him, that's really important. So I think those two things are things that Timberwolves fans can at least remain excited about and hang their hat on. Jace Frederick from the Pioneer Press covers the Wolves here. Matthew Collar in for Mackie and Judd. Well, let me circle back to the Carl Anthony Towns point because I feel like there have been different runs during his time here where we have looked at him and said, wow, I mean, this is a top 10 player. This is the guy that changes your franchise, that drags you to success, even if your team isn't perfect and has you in the playoffs year after year. But it hasn't really been all that consistent. And when we saw him in the playoffs especially, he was uh, the center of a lot of criticism. Every night on TNT with Charles Barkley and Shaq saying, you know, demand the ball, Carl, demand the ball. And, and that's where I wonder, Jace, is there progress there with a guy 
who's drafted so young with so high expectations, finally sort of finding himself? Or will it always be the, hey, Carl looks a little better lately? I think he's going to find himself. I do. I do think, I think he was probably on his way to that. And I do think just bringing in Jimmy Butler probably just changed that dynamic a little bit where Carl no longer was option A, you know, kind of that, that go-to guy. Because in the, in the fourth quarter, a lot of times by Tibbs' design, Jimmy Butler was the go-to guy, and that's who they were going to funnel their offense through in late-game situations, fourth quarter, last five minutes. I mean, Jimmy was their leading scorer in the fourth, and that's, that was kind of by design. They wanted him to the ball to run through him and him to make the decisions. And that didn't lead to a lot of, you know, getting the ball to towns and, and situations for him to be successful. And, and that was just part of the way it was. It doesn't mean it was a bad idea. It, was, it certainly worked out often. Um, they won a lot of games that way, but... It kind of forced Towns maybe to take a little bit of a regression as far as being aggressive in the fourth quarter and, and you know, kind of trying to get his and having him be the guy to put the team on his shoulders and lead them to victory. It just wasn't really the role he was put in. So he kind of had to transition almost back to that, uh, maybe where maybe he was kind of that guy earlier in his career, at least to some degree. Andrew Wiggins also was, obviously. But this might be one of the first years where it's totally like, okay, like late in games, okay, we're going to go to Carl, we're going to ride Carl, and they've at least done that in – not every game, not every time that they should have, but more times than not um, recently these last since the Butler trade, really. So I think that's an encouraging sign, and I do think it's something that he's going to continue to progress at. And I think, you know, like that was an area where he had to grow, and defensively is an area where he had to grow. And again, it's still not perfect, but you're seeing improvements. And I think whenever you see a player and they have obvious deficiencies, and like the playoff series certainly showed some of those deficiencies, and, and it really looks like they're at least growing in that area, and it's not perfected, but he's getting better and better at it. So if you can diagnose your weaknesses and continue to work to try to progress to make them, if not if not strengths, at least less of weaknesses, then that's really encouraging for a guy who still is pretty young in his career. Jace, I wonder I wonder how much roster construction plays into that too with Cat because it seems like at least in the last handful of games where he's just been putting up ridiculous astronomical numbers with you know the efficiency of it and scoring and rebounding and even playmaking. That if you have certain types of players that are that are surrounded that are surrounding him, instead of having the ball dominant guard like a Jimmy Butler or Derrick Rose or Jeff Teague, if they need, you know, somebody that's going to run the offense, but when they get across that timeline, the the offense is already being initiated and and the offense is going through Cat, and then he can sort of be allowed to make to be that playmaker instead of having. Jeff Teague or Derrick Rose dribble the air out of the ball until there's six seconds left on the shot clock, and then somehow they're either going to take the shot themselves or they're going to throw throw a grenade over to Andrew Wiggins for a bad shot as the shot clock's expiring. I mean, it just I wonder if just roster construction if that's something that they need to look at as uh, as they go forward. No, I totally agree with you. I mean, you look at when when did Nikola Jokic kind of take off for the, for Denver? It was when they started getting him the ball in the high post, and whether he took the shot or not, he made the decision as to where the ball was going to go in that given position. Yeah. And I think when you give that player that kind of responsibility and freedom, then they can, you know, when they get the ball in the post, they're not thinking, okay, here's the time we're after score. They're thinking, okay, like, here I'm getting it again. It's like the fifth straight possession. Now what's the best place for me to do it here? Okay, the defense is giving me this look. It's my turn to pass. I think when, when the offense is consistently running through you as a best player, then you are more likely to... I don't know, constantly, A, get the reps, but B, also just know, like, you're looking more for the right play versus being like, okay, I haven't scored in a while, I've got to be aggressive, I've got to score here, even if the defense is kind of telling you not to because they're sending two and three guys at you. I think Minnesota's offense is at its best when it's running through Cat, and I think that it's most likely to run through Cat when you have a guy like Tyus Jones on the floor, and 
I don't think it's any mistake that Minnesota's offense falls in that stretch last year and these last few games has run maybe most efficiently when Tyus Jones is on the court and Jones is playing with scorers like you know Towns and, and even to a lesser extent um, Wiggins and a shooter like Covington. Like Jones has consistently been really good and offenses have been really good when he's surrounded by scorers and he kind of has seemed to find ways and maybe even is just through the fact that, that he's just getting them the ball and getting out of the way sometimes but They've been at their best when they play alongside Jones and vice versa. Um, it just seems like a good fit, like you said. Just Maybe the ball-dominant guards aren't the best guys they have with Towns because then the offense doesn't run through Towns as much. And Minnesota, I mean, he's the best player on their team. It makes the most sense to kind of consistently give him the ball in situations for him to be successful and for him to make decisions. And it seems like when you have a guy like Jones out there, it happens a little bit more often than, than a Butler and even a Rose. Now, Derrick Rose has played well, but... Is everybody else playing at their best when Derrick Rose is on the court? That comes down to the construction questions that, you know, people who like make a lot more money than you and I have to decide, but it does seem like, you know, it doesn't seem like any mistake that the offensive numbers do increase when you have a guy who's looking to facilitate a little bit more like like Tyus and just kind of get the scores, the ball, and get out of the way. That, that, that has seemed to work well for Minnesota. Okay, Jace, you tweeted that you were off on your honeymoon, which uh, congratulations on that, um, and missed quite a bit there over the last uh, little section of – Minnesota sports, and so you came back to discover the Vikings out of the playoffs and and so forth. D- were you really like disconnected off Twitter the whole time for the honeymoon, or were you like sneaking looks or what? Oh, I, I mean, to not pay any attention would be absurd, right? I mean, like really hard to do. Um, I, I made a vow to myself that I wasn't going to tweet anything, even as I thought it. Um, so, like, I, I found ways to like watch the end of like the Wolves lost to Atlanta. Um, because, you know, Reddit streams are a great thing. Um, and then the Vikings game, I think I saw a bulk of the fourth quarter, um, but it was these things where I didn't see all of the games and I wasn't going to spend time tweeting about them after or before or during. Um, I probably watched maybe a total of two, two and a half hours of sports um, while I was gone and followed some other stuff uh, from the side. But it it was a good week to miss Minnesota sports uh, because it certainly, I mean, like it, it was, it was not a, a highlight uh, week that I think Minnesota sports fans will remember too fondly. Uh, yeah, I could say that. On my honeymoon, we went to sports. We went to a San Diego Padres game and a San Francisco Giants game. Where'd you guys go? Uh, we went to Cancun and just did the resort, uh, sit and do nothing uh, for a week thing, and. Then going from like the eighty-five degrees every day to the like three degrees last night, that was a rough transition. I can't lie. And then working today was also rough. Uh, kind of almost polar opposites, both in fact of what I did and what the temperature was outside. <laughs> it was rough. It was rough. I, well, we all feel for you, uh, Jace. Tough, Thank tough you. break having to be in Cancun. Too. Yeah, everyone feels bad. Um, yeah. Well. Thanks for uh, thanks for popping in. And is there anything that you want to say about Kirk Cousins? You said on Twitter you wanted to talk about Kirk Cousins, so I will give you the opportunity. What did you want to say after, especially helping us out as a producer on today's show, digging up those old quotes? Tough times don't last. Tough people do, right? <laughs> tough times don't last. Tough people do, right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it just just to see a guy. I mean, I think he kind of proved that if, if you think Kirk Cousins is any more right now than a middle-tier quarterback in the NFL, you are kidding yourself. Like I don't even know if he's in the top 15 in NFL quarterbacks, just in the fact that he didn't make anybody out in Minnesota any better this season. I don't feel as though anybody on the offensive end, like Kirk Cousins' play, made them better. Um, you looked at, and I know 
I'll be the first. Kirk Cousins is a better quarterback than Case Keenum, but at least Case Keenum was able to recognize the types of playmakers he had and guys like Diggs and Thielen and say, okay, all I've got to do is give these guys a shot, and they'll usually succeed. And I don't think Cousins got that in his head all season. I mean, he just didn't give them many opportunities to win balls, even in tightly contested situations. Sometimes a covered Adam Thielen is still an option. And I just got the sense that Kirk Cousins, whether it was maybe worrying about turnovers or whatever it might be, didn't, didn't give his stars enough chances to make plays. And Minnesota's offense was really kind of conservative in that sense, and I think they kind of failed because of it. So I think while it was still just year one, uh, and things could get a lot better uh, for Minnesota moving forward because, you know, as these guys really get that chemistry down, um, that was obviously a big issue. Um, I think it was kind of a discouraging year one, and if I'm Minnesota, I'm looking at it saying, is there any chance we win a Super Bowl with this guy as our quarterback these next two years? And the answer right now is a big old, I don't know, and you're leaning towards probably not. You know, when you, you look at the yards per completion and yards per throw, there were very many short throws to people who were open, but very few times where you can remember him just taking a shot. And I totally agree with you when it comes to the lack of aggressiveness there. But I think, Jace, it was sort of a chicken and egg situation with, so Mike Zimmer saw him turn the ball over a bunch of times and then tried to dial him back even more. But but he's sort of a conservative quarterback by nature for, from looking at, at his past career. So then it became even more so, and they were completing a lot of passes that were getting them four yards. And, you know, and like, the, and I'm sure you don't think Mike Zimmer ever maybe told Case Keenum or anything like, hey, be careful, don't turn the ball over. Oh, I'm sure, yeah, exactly. I'm sure he told him constantly. Yeah, I'm sure he told him constantly. And he didn't let him affect his, uh, didn't let that seemingly affect his play. He still, still took plenty of chances, and many times they, those plays hurt the Vikings. But as a quarterback, you can't play hesitant football. Like, you have to take some chances. You have to be smart, but you can't be hesitant. And he looked hesitant both in his decision making and in his pocket presence. And that's just, that's never going to be the recipe for success offensively. Jace, congratulations on uh, getting married and having a nice, fun time in Cancun. Good for you, and enjoy as much as anyone can tonight's basketball contest between the Wolves and Celtics. <laughs> thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Right, thanks, and, and remember, Jace. Tough times don't last. Tough people tough, do, right? Yeah, that's right. That's right. That's right. And, you know, I'm going to be honest. The tough times, they're lasting. <laughs> At least for Kirk Cousins and his career these last few years. They're yeah, lasting. And they will for you with the weather, too. That's, yeah, they will. Those are going to last, gonna change, too. But so. hopefully I'm tough and can continue to last for the summer. We'll see. <laughs> Thanks, Jace. Appreciate it. That's uh, Jace Frederick from the Pioneer Press, and he perfectly leads us into a conversation that uh, Manny and I were having earlier and want to have again about where Cousins ranks now among quarterbacks since there have been quite a few who have uh, risen to the challenge this year. So we'll talk about that next. And just real quick with Major League Baseball missing a big, big opportunity. Want to get to that? Five o'clock, we'll talk about the best quarterbacks. Where does Kirk Cousins sit? Where did he sit on our list before the season? And then Rich Gannon, former NFL quarterback, coming up at 515. Matthew Collar in for Mackie and Judd. Don't go anywhere. More Mackie and Judd coming up next. Gentlemen, to the medicine cabinet. On 1500 ESPN. What is it you're trying to say? Now, back to Mackie and Judd. What? On 1500 ESPN. All right, quick check on traffic here in the TCL Broadcast Studios. we got a stalled vehicle, 35W northbound uh, near Richfield, uh, between 60th and Diamond Lake Road. And uh, a lane is blocked in that area as well. So be on the lookout for that. Matthew? I'm reminded by that golf show commercial of last year, Doogie and I broadcasting at the golf show, and we were just trying to urge people to make the putt 
And uh, there was a guy who showed up to listen or was they did his pod and then he was just sort of listening to our show who looked exactly like Aaron Rodgers. I mean, like really? dead ringer. <laughs> and so at the end of the show, we got to the end and I was like, hey, Aaron Rodgers guy, come over, you know, come over, be on the air. Like, let me let me interview you. And I was like, you know, how's the off season going? Like, you know, what, what's going on? Uh, you've been working out, you know, whatever. And the guy's like, yeah, I get that a lot. I was like, yeah, like, because you look just like him. And I'm like, so what have you been doing this offseason, Aaron? Come on, Aaron. Like, tell us. You plan to beat the Vikings? And he's like, yeah, people people certainly see it. I'm like, come on, man. Come on, Aaron Rodgers guy. And then he just put the mic down and walked away. But then again, that's kind of par for the course for Aaron Rodgers in some, in yeah, some ways, it right? Might, like, so that's it, kind of the reaction right. you would get from him. I'm not certain it wasn't Aaron Rodgers because of the way he acted. I was like... Dude, you've got that down. Like, are you an impersonator? That was perfect. Um, are you actually Aaron Rodgers? I don't. I don't get mistaken for anybody. Do you? Uh, I not really. I've had friends that tell me I look like certain. Like I got, I've gotten Donovan McNabb a fair amount of times. You know, I, I don't see it, but, but I, I yeah, guess I understand kind of. Jonathan, no, I don't see it. No, no, I don't see it either. <laughs> no. I mean, maybe the, the maybe, goatee. I mean, if I th- got a goatee, if I saw you throwing footballs into the ground, if, I would. Oh, I think wow. it. I think I kind of look like him more when I let my hair grow out, and you know, I've got the receding hairline. Oh, yeah, and so yeah, when yeah, I let the hair grow out a little bit, then I can kind of get the Donovan McNabb thing. And, <laughs> and it's because of you know my figure. It's the Donovan McNabb that played for the Vikings for <laughs> right, like five yeah, right. games yes, in 2011. Yes, yes. That was overweight, and out of shape, and just not very good anymore. That That is the one thing about, as we go through Kirk Cousins' season and the future and what it all means, is um, at least it isn't Donovan McNabb. Yeah. <laughs> or, or or Josh Freeman or Christian Ponder. Tavares where, Jackson. Tavares Jackson, where you just feel like there's no hope whatsoever. Uh, I do wonder about what it would feel like if the Vikings had gone 8-7-1 and one with Case Keenum. And he had regressed through more picks. Like when he went to Denver, he threw a bunch more picks. The magic ran out, let's just say, and they end up missing the playoffs. I wonder if there would have been a huge, you should have signed Kirk Cousins cry or not. Because and maybe it would have depended on how he did somewhere else. If the Jets had signed him, the Jets weren't going to make the playoffs with him. They would have gone mm. six and ten or seven and nine or whatever. So if they looked at the Jets and said, "Well, he didn't make the Jets better," are the but, Broncos a playoff team with him? I don't know. They just they didn't have a whole lot of weapons, and the yeah. defense wasn't what it was a few years ago. So I mean, let's say that they're a fringe eight and eight type of team with Denver. But you know what it would have been is Case would have thrown for like thirty four hundred yards and. I don't know, 15 picks or something. And Cousins would have had the 4,000 and 30 touchdowns, even mm-hmm. though he went 7-9. and nine. And then it would have been, look at how much better Kirk Cousins played in Denver or New York if he had only been with our squad. Mm-hmm. I think that that's where we would be. But you would Just also... Just give him Thielen and Diggs and, right. and, and, yes, yeah, yes. and Dalvin Cook and see. He <laughs> would have been right. even better. He would have right. 40 touchdowns. And, I yeah. think it would have been the same record, though. If if Case Keenum had been here, I think it would have been eight seven, eight, seven and, and one. one, or you know whatever nine and seven, seven and nine. Well, eight but and eight. that's but that's part of the reason why a lot of people were on board with not even having Case back, right? Because they thought, well, if we bring Case back, then we're going to go from thirteen and three to eight and eight or nine and seven, and yeah. we probably won't make the playoffs. Yep. It would have been everyone's biggest fear realized. 
Yeah. And what everyone would have predicted in the offseason would be they're going to go 7-9 and nine or 8-8 eight and eight again because mm-hmm. Keenum's going to fall off, and then they would have ended up being right. And then the conversation would feel very much different and probably would be circling around to, well, now who's the quarterback going to be? But that's where it's sort of a more interesting place for Vikings fans to be in is because they would be talking about who the future quarterback was going to be. You probably would have been decided by now it wasn't going to be Keenum. So then it would be, are you drafting one this year? Are you trading for one? Is there a free agent one? Who's going to be the quarterback? There's, there's, a, lot, there's a lot of intrigue to that and entertainment to that that now you just don't have for an offseason. So what we have is months and months of who are the guard free agents. So at least from an entertainment standpoint, it would have been a lot more fun to have been talking about who was going to replace Case Keenum as opposed to you are now locked into Kirk Cousins and it's all about filling in every single spot around him to make it perfect to actually win. So the, the, the best argument... For wishing that Case Keenum had stayed instead of Kirk is probably, well, it would have been more fun. Like now. Not during the season. (laughs) Not during the whole time they're playing. But like January 2nd would have been more fun. Uh, Rich Gannon coming up at 515. I looked back at our lists. Best quarterbacks in the NFL last uh, September, maybe even before that. Before the season. And I want to compare them to now with how things have changed. Uh, Manny's got his list of current, how he would currently rank them as well. So we'll talk about that when we come back. Matthew Collar in for Mackie and Judd. Mackie and Judd will return shortly. Guys, I thought we were in a hurry. On 1500 ESPN.